we are in Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read a bunch of verses. So a lot of times we stand in this in this uh, service when we read those, and you can do that again. But if you have trouble standing, I'm just warning you, I'm reading almost the whole chapter, okay? I'm a fast reader, but it'll still be a little bit, all right? So if you'd like to stand, you can stand. And I'm going to read Matthew chapter 23, okay? Here we go. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not do the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi. We have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who's in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and whoever sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, for inside the cu- clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful and within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Anybody seen a theme? I don't know if there's any theme here. If you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had been lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Philip, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you the prophets and the wise men and the scribes, and some of you will kill and crucify, and some of you you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that you may may call all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Father, we pray for help this morning. God, we are aware, God, of pockets of hypocrisy in our own life. God, we're aware of things that we preach but don't practice. God, we are aware of the times when the outside of our life doesn't match what's going on on the inside. Father, we don't want to be that way. God, we want you to make us new. We want you to redeem us. We want you to sanctify us. We want you, God, to to cleanse us of hypocrisy. Lord, make us shining lights to our world of the beauty of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, guys, we got a big job ahead today, okay? So hold on. Um, There were two ways to do this. I could make this five sermons or I could make it one, okay? And uh, since we're so close to Easter, since we've been in Matthew for a year and a half, I decided to make it one. But what that means is we're going to like do a dive in, in, you know, just skim on the surface and we're going to pull out kind of a group and, and hopefully it will make sense. All right. But but do do hold on tight. OK, so as I think about 22 years of sharing the gospel in Woodward, Oklahoma, I, I first of all, I celebrate the times that people have responded well. Um, I rejoice over those times that I've been at McDonald's and we've been had our Bibles open and somebody came by and I said, hey, man, why don't you sit down? You know, let's 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 look at the scriptures together. Man, those are cool times when they sit down. I rejoice at times when when I've, I've approached people about coming to church. I've approached them about the beauty of the gospel and they've responded well. I rejoice. OK, that's not always happened. Many times they've been negative to the things of God, negative to the Bible, negative to church negative to Jesus, okay? Now, when I think about why they, they said they were not interested, okay, so the people were like, hey, I don't want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about church. I want to talk about the Bible. When, when, when I take all of those instances over 22 years and I group them together, you know what the most common reason why they said they weren't interested? The most common reason they said they weren't interested is because they said something to this effect, All those church people are just a bunch of hypocrites, okay? That's one of the most common things I have heard over and over again and continue to hear, uh, not just in Woodward. Actually, I've I've heard that in other places around the world even, okay? Now, now what what is our response to that? Well, first of all, I have no idea who the church people are because I'm not a church person, okay? I don't know who they mean by church people. Now, I do know who they mean by, if, if, if what they mean is those who are joined by faith to Jesus Christ, and who, because they love their Lord, gather together at this building and that building and in small group homes and at fast food restaurants to, to study the scriptures, to pray together, to be on mission, to encourage each other. That's me, okay? That is me, and I think that's a lot of you as well, okay? And what I, what I believe they mean by that accusation is they mean that those who claim to be indwelt by, by the Spirit of God, joined to Jesus Christ, connected to, to Christ, they're hypocrites in the sense that they're pretenders. They're, they're hypocrites in the sense that a hypocrite is, is someone who claims something about themselves that's not true. 
A hypocrite is someone who espouses a certain standard. They, they say, I believe this, and then, then they don't actually live that themselves, okay? So the, the accusation often goes like this. It goes, well, well, those Christians claim, you know, to be joined to Jesus, to be God's children, to be indwelt with the Spirit of God, but there isn't any real difference in them than anybody else. A lot of times I've heard this before. They've said, you know, those, those Christians claim uh, to be joined to Jesus, and they, they even say things like that their marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, and yet they're not more faithful, and they're not more forgiving. They're not, they don't love more unconditionally. They, 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 don't, uh, they don't forgive and, and, and give more sacrificially than anybody else. A lot of times the accusation goes like this. Those people join to be, claim to be joined to Jesus. They claim to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God, and yet, you know, their business practices aren't more just than anybody else. They, 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 they aren't more prone to tell the truth than anybody else. The accusation often goes, hey, those people claim to be Christians. They claim to worship and follow the one who said, turn the other cheek and love your enemy and pray for your persecutor. And yet their tempers are worse than anybody's. Now, what do we have to say about that accusation? Well, first of all, it's not fully deserved, Okay. And, and I will stand behind that and argue that with anybody. That, that accusation is not fully deserved, okay? A couple reasons. Number one, oftentimes the people they're pointing at as Christians are not biblically defined Christians, okay? Does that make sense? So a lot of times they're pointing at people that have some sort of affiliation with the church. My friends, does that make you a Christian? It does not. Sometimes they're pointing at people who, who maybe have, have even, you know, attended or have, have a reputation or had a funeral there, okay? Now, that's not the way we define a Christian. We define a Christian as somebody who has repented of their sins. They've seen the glory of Jesus, and they are following him. They, by faith, have been joined to Christ and are indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's our definition of a Christian, Okay? And many times the people that they're, they're saying, hey, those are, those are the hypocrites, oftentimes, you know, they're right. <laughs> a lot of times, in fact, what I'll tell them is, hey, you know what, you're not the first one to say that. You know who the first one to say that was? Jesus, you know? Jesus said, remember in the parable of the wheat and tares? He said, my father's going to sow good seeds in the kingdom, and then what's going to happen? The enemy's going to come along, he's going to sow bad seeds, and they're going to look alike as they're growing up. But then when they start to bear fruit, it'll become evident who's the real deal and who's not. Okay? So, so I'll tell you where we run into this. Africa and India. You know why? TV. Okay? So here's the way that many Africans and Indians, Indians from India, okay? Here's the way that they, their theology think. This, this was made so painfully aware to me in my first gospel conversation I had in Africa. I got out of the car. I was walking down the street. I ran into a guy, and I wanted to have a gospel conversation with him, but we couldn't get past this. In his mind, to be an American was to be a Christian. So everything he saw on television, all American movies, all American news, he thought that was Christianity. And he couldn't get over that, you know? And so you can see why he's like, I don't want anything to do with you people, you know? You're, you're murderers and you're bombers and you're sexually immoral. And, you're, and I'm like, no, no, you got to know my church. No, that's not who we are, right? But in his mind, that, that's who a Christian was. So a lot of this claim of hypocrisy is actually rooted in not knowing who, who, who a real Christian is, okay? All right, now, a lot of this claim of hypocrisy is simply exaggerated, okay? 
Now, to give you an example of this, instead of using our church or another church, I'm going to use a biblical church, okay? A church in the Bible. That's, that's a lot more safe, right, when you're talking about real instances, right? We don't want to call, you know, right? So, so the church at Corinth, all right? Do you remember the, reading about the church at Corinth in your Bible? If you, if you read the first letter, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinthians, they had a member there, just one, okay? But they had a member there who was actually living in an immoral relationship with his stepmother, okay? It was horrible. Paul's just like freaking out. He's like, guys, you've got to address this. You've got you to go after this guy. You've got to restore him. You've got to get him to repent, you know? And if you remember what happens, Paul even says, if he won't, you've, you've got to make a separation between him and you. And, and, and you know what I believe happened there? If you read 2 Corinthians 2, I believe that's who 2 Corinthians 2 is talking about. I think that guy actually repented and came back to Christ, okay? I don't know. I can't prove that to you, but, but I think that's who 2 Corinthians 2 is talking about, the second letter Paul writes. But can you imagine some, what some of the people in Corinth were thinking? You know, so I, 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 can't, I just, I just, I bet this happened. I bet somebody from the Corinthian church was at the market and they began to share their faith. And, and somebody was like, hey, I know somebody from your church. He's living with his stepmother. In a, and all you Christians are, now, was that true? They weren't all that way. There was one guy, right? And, and so a lot of times this accusation of hypocrisy is simply rooted in an exaggeration. Like pick one example and then, characterize everybody in the same way. And that's really not fair to do that. Actually, it's not even fair to characterize one deed, one action of hypocrisy, meaning that that's who somebody is all the time, because that's not true either, is it? Let me give you a practical example of, of how silly that would be. We got moms in here. I bet a lot of you moms, not I bet, you did, okay? I bet you did tell your children at some point in their life, you need to go to bed because we got a big day tomorrow and you need your rest. You need to be at your best. And then your kid was like, I don't want to go to bed. It's, I'm playing with my Legos. I'm about my tower, you know, whatever, you know. And then you're like, no, you're going to bed. That's what we do. We've got to get our rest, right? It's good preaching, mom. Mom, do you always get your rest? Do you, do you always go to bed when you're supposed to, you know? You, you, don't, you don't ever get all the kids down and watch Say Yes to the Dress for a couple hours, do you? I think you might, okay? So what if your little boy got up, you know, to go to the bathroom at 11 and you're up watching Say Yes to the Dress, you know, and then the next morning you're like, hey, you need to brush your teeth. He's like, I ain't listening to you. You're a hypocrite, you know? <laughs> well, that's not, that's not really true, is it, right? So, so do you see how a lot of these claims are exaggerated? Now, having said all of that, here's the part that's gonna sting. You know what? Some of what they say is true, okay? Some of what they say is true. That's what we need to address today, okay? The accusation of the world at times is right on, and we must always be on our guard against hypocrisy, okay? Like, like the, the, here's what I believe. There's nobody except Jesus, okay? There's nobody who has ever lived 100% genuine. There's nobody who's ever 100% lived on the outside as they proclaimed or even as they are on the inside. I, I, I just don't believe there's ever been anybody who's been that sinless, all right? That's why we desperately need James 1.22. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not simply hearers, 
Okay, we, we need that verse. Why? Because we're prone to hear the word and then not apply it. That's why all of our discipleship groups that meet during the week, they're all designed. I'm not saying they always work this way, but they're designed that after we work through a passage, at the end of that, we say, okay, how are we going to obey this? How, how are we going to live this out? Is there something we need to change today to get our life in line with the scriptures? That's, that's why we need that is because we're all somewhat prone to hypocrisy. And my friends, we need to take that very seriously. You know why? Because Jesus is serious about hypocrisy. Man, if you've read through the Gospels, and if you're going to pick out one time in the Gospels where Jesus seems to be really serious, it's this chapter. Did you see how many times Jesus says, whoa, first of all. You know what the word whoa in the scriptures mean? It means disaster, Horrible things like, ah, it's actually, that's kind of a, it's actually a guttural cry is what it literally was in, 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 in Hebrew. It, it was somebody being like, ah, oh, woe to you. Oh, no. That's what he's saying. Did, did you see what he called them? Blind fools, whitewashed tombs, child of hell, brood of vipers. I mean, Jesus is serious about this. And we ought to be serious about hypocrisy. And one of the reasons Jesus is so serious about hypocrisy is not only, not only can it cause you to live a life of pretending and thinking you're going to heaven and then at the end you realize you never had what you claimed and you end up in hell forever. Not only can it do that, but it can also keep other people from coming to the kingdom. You see, Jesus, you know what Jesus said about us? He said, you're the light of the world, Christian. You're the salt of the earth. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're a minister of reconciliation. You are the ones that not only proclaim the kingdom, but you live out the kingdom. Your life is to be an advertisement of the gospel. But if you're living in hypocrisy, if people follow you, they're never going to get to the kingdom. They can't. One of the, one of the terrible things about 1620 Lincoln Avenue, this property right here, is that anytime anybody's trying to get here and they pull up their iPhone and they go to this little map deal, you know, if they go to this little map deal, no matter where they are, if they're, if they're in Enid, if they're in Oklahoma City, and they pull up this map and, they map and they say, take me to 1620 Lincoln Avenue, they'll never get here. Isn't that sad? I don't know what we can do about that, but you, you can't, on your map, you can't get from Oklahoma City to, to, to the place you're sitting if you follow this. You know, what, you know, if you follow this, you know where you'll end up? You'll end up in a big ravine over in Washington and 12th, okay? That's terrible, isn't it? Like, if you know how to change that, please help us, okay? We had that happen this week. You, you can't, I mean, it'll take you down Washington Street, and if you just keep following it, you'll plunge off into a ravine because you can't get across the railroad tracks on Washington. But the phone thinks you can well, let me tell you something more tragic. If there are people that are living in hypocrisy and someone's trying to get to the kingdom of God and they're following you, they can't get there. And, and, and so Jesus says, he says, he says, woe to you, he says in verse 13, scribes and Pharisees, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. We have this incredible purpose that our lives are to point people to Jesus. That's what's supposed to happen. In fact, in Titus, it says, your life is supposed to adorn the doctrine of God. You're supposed to adorn the gospel. 
Let me, let me read you a passage out of Titus. Titus 2, 7 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not sh- uh, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You know what it means to adorn something, right? It's to make it beautiful. And, and your life, our, our, our humility, our service, our not being argumentative, our not being cranky, our being forgiving, our being gracious and loving and Christ-like, that's supposed to beautify the gospel. It's supposed to make the gospel appealing and attractive and draw people into it. You saying you're a follower and disciple of Jesus. It's supposed to be an advertisement of the gospel. Now, you know how a lot of people combat hypocrisy? They're just like, well, I'm, that's why I don't go to church. I, just, I, don't, I, you know, I know I don't live quite right, and so I'm, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Or that's why I don't tell anybody I'm a Christian. That's why I've worked at the same job for 30 years, and nobody knows I'm a Christian, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Okay, that's foolish. Okay? You're not living out what God has designed you to be. And you are being a hypocrite. If you really are a Christian, then you're not proclaiming and saying what you are on the outside. We are to be advertisements of the gospel, okay? So, in response to Jesus' words in this entire chapter, his his incredibly harsh words against hypocrisy, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to be aware of what hypocrisy is, and I want us to be looking for the pockets of hypocrisy in our life, and let's leave here today having repented of those, okay? That's really what I want us to do. Let's, let's search our hearts and minds as we walk through this. And, and, and if God brings something up, if you realize, listen, I'm preaching but not practicing. I'm, 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 I'm living a certain way and the wrong motive. Then we need to fix that this morning. And praise God that we can fix it by coming to him, right? So let's do that this morning, okay? So what is hypocrisy according to Jesus, all right? I'm going to give you several, several characteristics. Number one, it is preaching but not practicing, okay? So go way back up to the beginning of the passage in verse 23. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. In other words, they proclaim the law. They proclaim the word of God. And then Jesus, I think Jesus says this tongue in cheek. I think he's being sarcastic. He says, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach and don't practice. I think Jesus is like saying, hey, listen to these guys. Man, do whatever they say, but man, don't look at their life. You know, I think he's being sarcastic in the sense of, of you know, how are we not going to look at their life? But he's saying you can't look at their life because what they preach, they don't practice. One of the ways that I've heard people try to get around this hypocrisy accusation is by saying something like this. Christians are not perfect, we're just forgiven, okay? There's even bumper stickers with those. By the way, if you have that bumper sticker, I don't care if you have it. I, let, me just, let me tell you my theological conviction about that, okay? Here's my theological conviction. That's a true statement. Christians are not perfect. Is that true? Yes, that's true, right? 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves. We're lying, okay? So Christians are not perfect. That is a true statement. Are Christians forgiven? Yeah, that's a true statement as well, right? By the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and by his perfect life, when we're joined in by faith, we are forgiven for all our sins. So that's a true statement. But here's what I worry about. When you pair those two together, okay, against the accusation of hypocrisy, I'm afraid what that is telling people is, hey, you, you don't hold me to any standard. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I'm forgiven, but I'm still going to cut you off in traffic and shake my fist at you, okay? That is not the message we want to give, okay? Because here's what's true. 
The same grace that brings forgiveness transforms a life. Okay? There's not two different kinds of grace. There's, there's not one grace that brings salvation and forgiveness and adoption and justification and I'm going to heaven. But then, oh, I don't have that other grace that, that, that changes a person and, and, and transforms your temper into peacefulness and transforms your lust into purity. No, those are the same grace. In other words, if you have the grace that brings forgiveness, you got to have the grace that brings transformation. All right? The grace that forgives also transforms. One of my favorite passages on this is 1 Corinthians 6, 9, yeah, 9 through 11. Okay, so, so listen to this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither. And then it gives a whole list here, ready? Sexually immoral, idolatrous, adulterers, many practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? But then look at verse 11. And such were, that's, that's a great word, isn't it? Were some of you, okay? But you were, what happened to you? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, you, you, you got God's grace and receiving his grace means you're not that other thing anymore. You're not a drunkard anymore. You're not a thief anymore. You're not greedy anymore. You're not a practicing homosexual anymore. You're not an idolater. You're not an adulterer. Okay, now, now perfect, no, we already established that. We know we're not perfect, but we are progressing. We know we, we are adopted, but we're also advancing. We know we are forgiven, but we're also going forward in our Christian life, okay? If you take the book of 1 John, 1 John 1 says nobody's perfect. 1 John 3 says no real Christian stays in their sin. What happens? They, they're convicted of it. They're convicted of it, and they repent of it, and they turn to Christ sometimes over and over and over again, and God begins to work that sin out of our lives and put righteousness into our lives. And so we, if you're a believer, you ought to be practicing what you preach. Number two, what's the second characteristic of hypocrisy? Hypocrites do all their good deeds to be seen by others. Look at verse 5. Verse five says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they, they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace being called rabbi. Okay, now what, what's Jesus saying here? He's saying one of the marks of hypocrisy is you do what you do so people will see you. Right? You want to call attention to yourself. What, what are these phylacteries and, and what are the fringes? Well, in Jewish culture, and this was part of Deuteronomy, it said that you're to have the word in your mind and you're to have the word in, on, on your deeds in your, in, your, in your hand, on your heart, right? And so what they'd done is they, they'd made these little scripture boxes that they, they wrapped around their, their head uh, in their mind. It was symbolic, okay? Actually, when the scripture didn't say to do it, but they're, they're, they still do it now, actually. We can't buy some Orthodox Jews in, uh, in August, last August up in Washington State, and they, they did this in the morning. They wrapped them around their hands, and they put them on their head, and, and it's their kind of, we need God's word in our head, we need it in our hand. There's nothing wrong with that, but what happened with these guys is, guess what? They start making their boxes bigger and bigger, <laughs> you know? Pretty soon you got this dude with a refrigerator box, you know, and a, and a big Gutenberg Bible in, on his head. You know, he can't hardly lift it. He's walking around. You know, why'd they want to do that? Look at me. Look at me. Look at how spiritual I am, right? Look, look, at, look at how many verses I got memorized. Look at, look at how much I read my Bible. Look, look, look at me. Look at me. Okay, that, 
That's hypocrisy. When, when you do what you do to call attention to yourself and not for the glory of God, that is hypocrisy. You know what, you know what the terrible thing about hypocrisy is? Hypo- hypocrites live their life caring more about what people think of them than what God thinks of them. The tragedy is they live their lives for the reward of men rather than the reward of God. You know what's so terrible about that? I told you this in Matthew 6 when we went through it. And I believe it's still true. If people think about you for 10 seconds, that's about all you're getting, okay? So you do this really super spiritual, nice, awesome thing. If you get 10 seconds of good job out of that, that's all you got. Some people live their life for that. I I think they're convinced that, that people are revering them in their home, you know? It's, it's like a tiny reward. It's just not true. Uh, the nicest thing you do for people is very quickly forgotten. I, I was telling the story. I've told you this story before. Um, we were on our way to the Keys, and, and this family was broken down the side of the road. We stopped. Um, couldn't change their tire. The tire was blown. They had to get to the airport. It was a mother and a brother. They were flying to Brazil. They're from Brazil. They were visiting their brother who was trying to take him to the airport. He had a flat tire. So we put all of our kids in the back seat. We did not have any foster kids. If you work for DHS, okay, at that time, we put all our, stacked them all in the back. We got the mother and brother in, in our Honda in the middle seat with their suitcases. They didn't speak any English, so we did the whole buenos dias, you know, the whole way. Uh, gracias, you know, that's whatever we knew. All the way to Miami International, dropped them off. Okay, the brother, before we left the, the roadside there, he shook my hand. He said, if you are ever in Naples, Florida, you come by and we, you can stay at our house and we'll, you know, we'll, take, we'll feed you and we'll take care of you. Yeah. Super nice, super nice. Okay, you, you know what's true about that? I don't know where he lives, but if I didn't know where he lived, the next time we're around Naples, Florida, if I go to his house and knock on his door, what do you think? What, what, what's the picture in your mind? Okay, here's the reality of what would happen. Hello? Hey, remember me? Mm, no. I don't. I don't remember what he looks like, so I'm assuming he don't remember what I look like. No, I don't. Oh, remember, we, we stopped on the side of the road, took your mother and brother. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I think I do remember you. Yeah, hey, thanks. Yeah, what, what, do you, what do you need, you know? Remember, you said we could come over, you know? And he'd be like, I'm just guessing. Probably the best version would be like, ah, we're, I'm so glad you came, but we're super busy. Hey, you should check out the Motel 6 right down the road. That's normally the way that would go. Here's what I'm saying. Don't live for the reward of men. It is fickle. It is small. Isn't it something that we care so much about that? And it's so little. It's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 6. If I can refresh your memory about this. He said this like three different times. We'll read one of them, okay? 6.1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. That's when you give to the needy. Don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's what you want. That's what you want. You don't have low aspirations, okay? 
A lot of folks, they'll, they'll live for this pat on the back. Did you see how, how good I was? Hey, did you see how I served? And then when they don't get it, it's like, oh, you know. Man, live for the reward of the Father. Like it is a billion times greater than the reward of men. Number three, hypocrites make a huge deal out of small things and neglect the big things, okay? Again, we are skimming, aren't we? Sorry, but, all right, look at 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, have tithe, you, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, I love Jesus' pictures here, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, you know? It's, it's like the picture of, you know, you got this strainer and, you know, I don't want any bad stuff in my drink, so they strain a gnat out, you know? And then they're chomping on a camel while they're drinking, you know? I mean, it's this ridiculous picture of caring about super small things and neglecting big things, okay? But that's what hypocrites do. You know why that's what hypocrites do? Because they pick something they can win at and they blow it up big. Now, you may be completely confused about those two verses, so I wanna, I wanna try to help with that, okay? What does he see, say when he means tithe, mint, dill, and cumin? Okay, the tithe is an Old Testament word. What it was basically is that in the Old Testament and even before that, even before the law, uh, we find this in Abraham and Melchizedek, but we find it a bunch in the law. God's people were to give 10% of their income to the work of the Lord, okay? So that's what a tithe is, okay? Now, what these guys were doing was they had made this so strict that they tithed everything, okay? Not just their income, but as they're planting their garden, they got their spices out there, the row of spices and they go through and they, they start picking those tiny spices, you know, off and they got one, seven, eight, nine, I got 10, whoo, I got a tithe, you know, and they go put the rest in their cabinet there, spices, and they got their one little piece of dill there and he gets in his car, you know, and he's got his piece of dill, you know, and he's driving down the road and there's a homeless guy, get out of my way, I got to get to the temple, you know, he's driving down the road, traffic jam, uh-uh, Get out of the way! He's yelling at him. He's swerving around. He's driving down the road, you know, panhandling on the street. I get you. Get to get to work, you know. Get a job, you know. He's driving. He's, I got to get my tie then, you know. He gets gets there, rolls down the window to holler at somebody to get out of the way. Wind gust blows his tie in his back seat. You know, he's got to go get that little piece of dill, you know. Get get to the temple. And he walks in the temple. What are you doing, brother? Oh, I just picked the spices out of my garden, so I've come to tithe. Okay, that's the picture, okay? These guys were notorious for neglecting justice and mercy and truth, and yet hyper-focusing on the performance of their religion, okay? Now, is Jesus saying you shouldn't tithe? Well, no, he actually, actually, did you read what he said? These you ought to have done, okay? By, by the way, okay, I... This was a bad idea, but I, I feel like I can't bring up tithing because I get questions on it so much without giving you a little summary of what I believe, okay? So I, I don't want to leave that hanging. So here's my 30-second that actually is going to be three minutes, okay? But I'm going to try for 30-second, all right? 30-second view of tithing, okay? It is an Old Testament law, okay? We only find it here, one spot in the New Testament. What do we find about giving in the rest of the New Testament? 
we find radical sacrificial giving, okay? We find the Macedonian Christians who in their poverty, in their poverty were begging Paul. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8. They're begging me for the privilege of giving beyond their means to the offering in Jerusalem. We find the widow in her two mites. Remember that? She's got two coins. She's in the temple. She's like, look at that guy right there. She's giving all she has to the Lord. We got the church in Acts who, who got property. There. there are people that own 80 acres, 40 acres in new subdivisions, and they're selling it and giving it to the poor and impoverished. All right, that, That's what we find in the New Testament. We find in the New Testament verses like 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 that we memorized this last month. Right? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, they'll also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, they'll reap bountifully. And you should purpose in your heart what you give, and you should give cheerfully, okay? So that, that's, that's the model of the New Testament. So am I saying I think the tithe is not applicable to Christians? I didn't say that. Here's what I would say. It's helpful, okay? I don't think it's a law. I, I, don't, think, I don't think we live by the law, okay? I think it's helpful, okay? To guys like me, you may not be that way, but it's awfully helpful to guys like me. You know why it's helpful to people like me? Because I kind of need a framework to shoot at I kind of need a, a, a standard to try to hit and go above, okay? That, that, I, that's really helpful for me, okay? Let me tell you what kind of person I am. If I tell you, hey, I'm gonna try to get in shape, and you're like, oh, okay, what's your plan? And I'm like, well, I'm gonna run. And you're like, oh, really? You know, what, what's gonna be your, what, what are you gonna do? What, what schedule are you on? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna run whenever I kind of feel like it and just, you know, till I get a good workout, okay? Now, that may work for you. You know what that will be for me? Well, no, I will. One time, 20 yards, okay? I mean, I know this because I've done it with food all my life, okay? I'll hit these periods where I get on the scale, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to cut back, okay? If I just say I got to cut back, you know what that will mean? That will mean the next time I go to McDonald's, I'll get my quarter pounder and fries, and as I'm eating my fries, I'll wait till there's like three left, and I'll be like, oh, I was going to cut back. Well, I won't eat those. I I'm not actually kidding. I've done that over and over again, right? I mean, and so a lot of people with their giving, that's what they do. They're like, well, you know, whatever we, whatever we have left over, you know, we'll, we'll give to the Lord. Okay, I don't know how your life works, but how many of you like get to the end of the month, and you're like, honey, what are we gonna do with this pot of cash? We got all this left over, you know? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like, it is super helpful for me from the time I became a Christian. I, I remember Em and I, uh, working part-time jobs in Bolivar, Missouri as brand-new Christians going to college. And I remember we made about $100 a week together, both of our incomes. And I remember thinking, okay, $10, that's, you know, going to church, $10. And we, we, we were like, hey, we should, we should shoot above that. You know, someone had taught me pretty well. And so I remember writing a $15 check for that first whole year of college, you know, every week, you know, just, just hey, we're, we're going to give. So it's, it, for me, Super helpful, okay? Super helpful because it gives me something to aim at and try to get above, okay? It's not a law. It's not like, you know, this is, it's not something where we all drive to the church and be like, this is why we're so righteous, you know? I picked 10 pickles and here's my one to the Lord, you know? No, no, okay? These guys were notorious for making a big deal out of the wrong stuff. You let me show you the funniest example. That's not funny, it's tragic, but it's so it's so ridiculous, it's funny, okay? John 18, these same guys in the middle of the night are trying Jesus. They're, they're, they're taking him to court to try to get him executed in the morning, okay? They're trying to murder the Son of God. And listen to him, okay? 
Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning, but they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. The same people that are about to crucify Jesus won't step foot in Pilate's house because he's a Gentile, and then they'll be defiled. (laughs) You're about to murder the Messiah, and you're worried about being in a Gentile's house? But that's that's what hypocrisy does, okay? All right, next. Um, fourthly, hypocrisy focuses on the outside completely and neglects the inside. Okay, you ready? Verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that, that the outside may be clean. Okay, so here, here's the deal about, about you, Okay. If you just work on the outside, you'll never get clean. All right? it's, 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 here's Jesus' picture. There's, somebody's cup fell in the mud puddle, right? Fell in the muck, in the pig trough. Let's do that. Let's make it worse, okay? And they get it out. They're like, oh. And so they, they get their bleach, and they're bleaching the outside, and they shine that outside all up, you know, get all the crevices, bleach it all, get it all clean. It's sparkling on the outside. They're really proud to show everybody their cup. They never did anything with the inside. The inside's got maggots in it, you know? And then pour their Kool-Aid, okay? I mean, that's, that's Jesus' picture here. He's like, you can try to make the outside all sparkly of your life. In other words, control your behavior. In other words, whenever you're around anybody, you know, you got, okay, I gotta be right. I gotta not cuss. I gotta not, you know, I gotta work on the outside. And you never work on the heart. You never work on your thoughts. You never work on your motives. You never work on what do you really love? What do you live for? You'll never be clean. All right, so how do we get there? Okay, real quickly, which I'm trying to hurry. I'm actually doing a better job than I did in the other services, so I'm proud of myself right now, okay? How do we get there? Okay, are you ready? These are gonna be real quick, but here's, here's how I believe from this passage we guard ourselves against hypocrisy, okay? Number one, okay? Strive to serve and stoop, Okay? Serve and stoop. By stoop, I mean humility. All right, listen to what Jesus says in verse 11. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. One of, one of the prime kind of ugliness of hypocrisy is this wanting to be exalted before other people. And so Jesus says one, one of the ways that we remedy that is through serving and stooping, okay? It, it's, it's through looking. Here's, what, here's the deal about the servant. The servant's not looking for the spotlight. The servant's looking for need need. You see, the, the servant looks for the person that nobody else is talking to. How can I go bless that person? The servant's looking for the job that's not getting done, but needs to get done. How can I, how can I do that job? How can I be a blessing? How can I do the hard thing? How can I do the thing that's not being taken care of? How can I do the thing with no payback? That, that's good for your soul to serve in that way. You need to stoop. You need to take, I deserve just take it out of your vocabulary. You, you need to begin to focus on your blessings and being thankful. You need to be okay with being overlooked. How, how do you do when, when somebody has a need and you go in there, you give your time, you give your morning, you give your effort, you give your energy, you pour yourself out? Man, they don't even mention it. Like nobody did. 
In fact, they all went and got pizza while you was finishing up. How do you do with that? See, that's a, that's a really good thing for the soul. Because it's like, all right, here's the next thing, by the way. I'll just skip to the next one. Number two, I'm seeking the reward of God. I'm not, I'm not seeking the reward of men. You know, if I could convince you of anything, it would be this. There is treasure in Christ. Like, there really is. The joy that you're wanting, the, 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 the blessing that you're wanting, that, that causes us to want to be patted on the back by others, you're going to find that in Christ. Seek Him. Seek His favor. Seek His blessing. Number three, man, keep an eye on your inner life. We're so prone to think, what do people think of me? Okay? You may give you a, you may give you a proof, 100% proof of that. Whenever you slip and fall on the ice, what is your first response? Okay, it didn't matter if you just snapped your femur in half. What's your first response? Did someone see me? Isn't that something? I mean, I've seen people pop up on a broken leg, you know, look around to see if anybody saw and then call the ambulance, you know? But, but their first thought is, did anybody see me? You know, a lot of times, that's, that's our response, isn't it? Like we have a slip of temper. Ooh, was anybody looking? We were gazing at something we shouldn't have been gazing at. Did anybody see me? Okay, that, that's a life of hypocrisy. What, what you ought to do, what Jesus says you ought to do is work on the inside. And work really hard at, are my motives right? Do I love the right thing? Am I caring about the right thing? Am I caring about God above all? Am I finding my joy in him? Man, as you, as you work on the inside, you know what happens? The outside gets clean. Isn't that great? Work on the inside, and the outside gets clean. All right, real quickly. Number four, be honest about your sin to God and to others. Okay? Now, you don't always need to tell everybody everything. You always need to confess your sin to God quickly. Repent quickly. And then if you find yourself falling into the same sin over and over again, find a brother. Man, I, I think our verse this last month in March was really good. Whoever conceals a sin will not prosper. Whoever forsakes and confesses it will find mercy. Find a brother or sister who you know loves you and cares about you and won't let you stay in sin, and you tell them, hey, man, I've been struggling with this. Bring it out in the open. Why? Because you don't want to be a hypocrite. Number five, be willing to receive biblical correction. These guys weren't. Verse 35. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will crucify and kill, some of whom you will flog in your sin. Jesus says, I, I sent you people to tell you the truth and you wouldn't receive it. Man, one, one of the ways to combat hypocrisy is be a person who can be corrected. That's, that's, that's the mark of someone who's not a hypocrite. Okay, so two things. Number one, if you're a believer here, None of us are 100% genuine. So what we want to do in these final moments together is we want to ask ourselves, okay, God, where are the pockets of hypocrisy in my life? Where are the places that I'm preaching but I'm not living, I'm not practicing, I'm not doing? Where are the places that I'm, I'm actually living for people and not for you? God, where, where am I making a big deal out of a small thing and then neglecting a great big thing? God, where, where are those? Where do I need to work on my inner life, God? 
What do I need to confess in my mind and my heart that's not right? All right? Now, what if you're here today and you just realized this morning that you've been faking it your whole life? All right? What if you, what if you realize you've been faking it your whole life? Jesus is pretty hard on you there, wasn't he? But listen to this. Are you ready? Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Could you, I, don't, I don't know if you caught that, but you see what Jesus is saying to these hypocrites? Oh, how I want to bring you in, just like a mother hen brings her chicks in. You haven't been willing, but I want to bring you in. You know what that tells me? Jesus wants to bring in the hypocrites. Isn't that awesome? So you come today. Come to Jesus today. Be the real thing today. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for these that have gathered together. And Lord, I pray for those who who may not know you genuinely. Maybe they have the name of a Christian. Maybe they've been associated with church, but they've never truly put their faith in you. God, please, please bring them to yourself today. God, I want to pray for the believers in this room, including myself. God, please show us the areas of of hypocrisy that we need to repent of this morning, that we need to turn away from. God, give us power and courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to sing together.